recording. And by the way, a lot of you don't know. Um, firstly, I'm Jackie, so anyone, I think everyone knows. Everyone. Um, can we just go around quickly and just say names so everyone knows each other? Just like, just your name. Sam. Crystal. Oh, Crystal's new tonight. Welcome, Crystal. Hi. Oh, that's Nalini. Do you know Nalini? Nalini also works for Souls, just so, yeah, Crystal's new. Yeah. Lauren. Hi, Lauren. Vivian. Ellie Shava. Lovely name. Rebecca. Allie. Nicole. Mm. Sophia. That's my Meredith. Thank you. Samantha. Melissa. Kaylee. Corinne. Adar. Oh, sorry. Adar. <laughs> what up? Sorry. Okay, Jackie. Now, for those of you who don't know, this is recorded every single week, no matter who's speaking, and we put it on the iTunes, on, on your podcasts. So you can just go into iTunes podcast and search Sold NYC and all the classes we've ever done should be there for free. It's really great. So anyone who missed Rabbi Tats last week or missed the second class last week, it's all there, um, which is great. Um, it's just really it's good to know. So the other thing is that people keep telling me they don't realize is that Sold gives you a subsidy to go to Israel for free to learn for three weeks if you ever want to go just to learn for three weeks. Um, we also do give you subsidies towards um, level two trips. So if you ever want to go on a trip and you don't want to just go and learn in seminary because it's a bit too intense, but you want to do a level two trip like Ma'or Vision or um, uh, Pathways Plus or anything like that, um, then uh, you can go as well with subsidies from Seoul. So basically we can help you out financially if you ever want to go and learn. There's also two amazing retreats in America in the summer break and winter break that usually is a bit more realistic with jobs. So, because um, they're usually 10 days, they're not three weeks. So that's Sinai retreats and heritage retreats. Both run summer and winter. And they're fantastic if you say, I just need to go and get a spiritual recharge and I just want to go and get a boost. They're fantastic for that. And they have Debbie Greenblatt teaching every day. Um, Jill Kaysman, both phenomenal, phenomenal teachers on both of those programs actually. Um, so please come and speak to me or Nalini or Elisa about it. Um, afterwards, we'll help you get there. We'll help you, we'll just walk you through the process if you want. Um, so that's that. What else do I need to tell you? Any other housekeeping stuff? The sold stuff coming up? Oh, I, I met, can I just tell you this quickly? I met a really exciting guy today, a rabbi, and don't get too excited. And um, I know, I was like, share your whole dating life with everyone. And, um, and, <laughs> and uh, why not? We're all family. No, so uh, this guy is amazing. His specialty is hi, Faggy. This is Faggy. Can I'm you say so hello? Sorry, I'm this like is Faggy. No, no, she's she's hi. really part of our family too. And um, she teaches upstairs at the JEC. And Souls is going to be coming under this whole big banner called Maora Manhattan, which includes JEC. And she will be on board with us. So and she does the most amazing classes. And we can't wait to have her uh, on Thank board. You. Yeah. Anyway, I'm so. sorry, I'm not just like this strange person. Right. No, this is Faggy. She is okay. part of. I'm the, upstairs. So yeah, she's awesome. Um, so, um, what was I saying? Oh, this amazing guy. Yeah, so Rabbi, Rabbi, I wish. Um, so Rabbi Goldhar, um, his name is, and his, what's his specialty? <coughs> Teaching, especially people who did not grow up with a strong background, a crash course in Jewish history, Chumash, the timeline, where the holidays fit in, the order of the stories so you know exactly what came where, where it comes, like that you walk out completely Jewishly literate, like knowing the whole thing from the story, like the timeline, the stories and which characters went where and the, how the order of the stories and how does it fit in with the bigger picture and concepts of Judaism and the holidays and then how does that fit in with my personal growth. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And I said, you could do it in one evening on a sold night. And he said he has a one and a half hour summary that he can give us with visuals and handouts and so I said, okay, I'm going to test you June 30th. He's going to come in Tuesday night. 
and um, and he's going to do one hour. If we like him, then we'll do the longer version. He has a longer four hour. We're going to do a one day Sunday Hebrew school. Sunday school, like for one, like one day, he'll do the four-hour block on all of that if we like him. So we'll we'll test him out. You'll give me feedback, but it's like this is so missing from from Valley Chuva type the curriculum generally. Generally, people have gaping holes in this stuff depending on how you grew up, and it's just so important because he said you walk out feeling empowered that you understand the fundamentals and you understand what's what and you feel like you're at least on the map, like you really know what's flying. I said I want to sit in it like as a student, seriously. So um, anyway, that was very exciting because I, I already met with two people today. So what would you like to learn? And this is the, this is the kind of things people tell me all the time. They want to learn this stuff. They want to learn, yeah. So anyway, so we're we're booking him in, and we have Rachel Kraus, who's one of the sold favorite teachers, and her husband Daniel Kraus. They she's a, a high flying powerhouse in Westfield, building Ground Zero. She's a business corporate developer for Westfield Corporations, and she's been built, rebuilding Ground Zero. And her husband just finished an MBA and is a phenomenal rabbi. And together they are a team and they do a team series on business and Judaism. So they're coming in actually not next week, but the following two weeks for a two-week series on that. Um, and we booked in Hannah Silver also for, for in July from Israel, redhead. I don't know if you remember her. She's one of our most popular teachers. Um, she's incredible. She's one of like a really high-flying teacher in Israel. She's coming out in July as a guest speaker too. So we have an amazing summer planned. And that's just the ad for Salt. Um, okay. <laughs> So tonight, um, we were going to discuss the idea about Losh and Hora, um, but from a different angle. This was an angle more um, of why is it so serious? Like women, this is particularly an area that we have a challenge in, right? Because women are relational, relational people, much more than men. We like to talk. We like to connect through talking with the girlfriends. Like, you know, if you see two people who haven't seen each other for a long time, you know, they're just both talking at once the whole time because they like to connect, we connect through speech. So women were given, I think it was at nine of the 10 parts of speech that were given out into the world, it says women got nine of them. Like we, we just basically excel in this area. So too, where you excel, you have your biggest challenge, right? So, and, and the Torah goes on and on and on that like, you know, the, the, even the three cardinal sins of murder, idolatry, idolatry and, and adultery are worse. I mean, together, they're less, they're not as bad as speaking Lashon Hara. Which just seems outrageous, right? What, is it, what does that mean? Why is Lashon Hara so bad? What's the spiritual principle behind it? And these are some of the ideas that we were, I wanted to explore with you. This is very, all very, very Rabbi Tatsish, because I saw how everyone um, really enjoyed his style of teaching last week. And um, I forgot, and I used to teach a lot of his stuff in Israel. And, um, and then I realized that people just love it. It's really important to have that mystical, philosophical context and frame for a lot of the concepts that we're trying to work with. And, and, we, and then we struggle with. So, um, so that's, that's what I wanted to talk about today. Um, Lash and Hara, does anyone know the definition of Lash and Hara? That uh, evil tongue. The evil tongue, but what is, so what does that mean in practicality? Gossip. Pardon? Gossip. Gossip, what is that? So gossip means, what's, what's what do we call it? negative speech, yeah? Negative speech that what? Pardon? So negative speech that talks about somebody else, and what about uh, its relevance as far as it being true, not true? It has to be true. It has to be true. Losh and horror is true negative speech. And this is where one of the areas where I think it trips us up. Because you'll say something, you'll say, well, I'm just being honest. Or I'm just being truthful, or it's just the truth, it's the reality. Like, I think you should know because it's just the truth. How many times have we said that? Like, I think you should know about this because it's just, it's just the truth. Like, you just... It's just, it's just like nearly like that's the reason we should be saying it, but that is the very 
prohibition. There's other prohibitions for telling lies and falsehoods and stories. Yeah, Rachilis, which is about um, telling uh, stories about someone like that's not true. For sure, you're not allowed to do that. But that's a different category. The actual definition of losh and horror is true negative speech, and it's considered worse than falsehood. It's considered worse than telling lies about someone, which also doesn't really at all add up, because I would think it's, okay, it's bad to tell the truth about someone if it's negative, but at least it's true, right? So what do you mean it's worse than speaking lies? Lies are better than speaking true negative speech? You hear all the questions? There's so many questions here. So what's going on is very cosmic and very spiritual, actually. And until you understand what speech is and the, the whole purpose of speech in the world and where it comes from in us and what we're meant to be doing with it, and then after you understand all these foundational principles, then you understand why it's so serious, why it's considered worse than the three cardinal sins, why, right? So, and I feel like for me at least, re even learning this again, it gave me a little bit more like, aha, uh -huh, like understanding to be able to recommit to trying to do it to not do it, right, more. Like, it, it helps you in that commitment of the action as well. Okay, so, um, I'm gonna take the rained one one. Let me just hand, I, I, and I always like to, to, to show some sources if I can. So here, some sources. I don't know how many people. Or maybe just, we just, yeah, just made it, all right. Why is it considered so bad? So you know in Judaism, when you want to understand a deeper idea about a concept, you go back to the first place the concept is mentioned or the concept is referred to generally mm -hmm. in the Torah and also in its word. Do you understand? This is a very important principle actually. If you want to understand about a concept, you go to two places about it. One is where it's first mentioned in the Torah because that will give you the context of the essence of what it means. And the other is to look into the Hebrew word of whatever that thing is, to look at the roots of that word and see what the roots mean. And the roots reflect the concept of that thing, right, as well. So you, between the two things, the word in Hebrew and where it's first mentioned in the Torah, you actually go straight to the essence of what that concept is. Yeah, clear? So here it says, this is unbelievable, the beginning of the destruction of the world happened through speech. The beginning of the destruction of the world happened through speech. What does that mean? If you look here, or distortion of truth. Truth, not just speech. We talked about lies and truth. So, who wants to read the first paragraph in English? Who likes to read? Come on. There's always the ones that like to read. Yeah, thank you, Mary. Now the serpent was cunning more than all the beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And it said to the woman, and it said to the woman. And it said okay, to thank the you. woman, <laughs> Did God indeed say you shall not eat any of any of the trees of the garden? I'm so sorry. Okay. Sorry. It's fantastic. Uh, excellent. Thank you. Yeah, okay. It, should, I think she was so good. Should we get her to the second one? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and the woman said to the serpent, Of the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. Keep going, I was too good. But of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, God said, you, should, you shall not eat of it, and you shall not touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die. Okay, so what's happening here? The serpent's cunning, right? 
and went up to the woman to seduce her and said, did God really say you shan't eat, you shall not eat of any of the trees? Like he's kind of pushing her. Like really, did he say that? Bless you, bless you. And she says, yes, well, the woman's very clear. Of the fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat. But of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, God said, we can't eat it or we're going to die. Now, the serpent said, you will surely not die. And he was right. They didn't die. He was correct. So you see here, he was telling the truth, but it was a distortion because of what, what, what happened as a result of them eating. It was the beginning of the process of death. Right. It was they the, became human. They became human. They lowered in their madragas, and they, it was the beginning of the process of death. Death needed to be introduced into the world for them to be able to function. Right? It was the beginning of the process of death, but they did not die. So there's, there's a distortion already in that first moment, and it, beca- it was really the beginning of the destruction of the world. So you see here, the first time speech is focused on in this way, it's really, it's really a, a very powerfully negative thing. And it was a careful calculation of, uh, of the distortion of truth. Okay, so where do we see this later on? We see this later on where Moshe was holding the staff in his hand. Moshe was told by God to take the Jews out of Egypt. You're going to be the one to take the Jews out of Egypt, right? And what, what does he say? He basically says, they're not going to listen to me. Jews, I'm going to go up to the Jew, Jewish people and say, oh, I'm going to take you out of Egypt. They're not going to believe me. How are they, how are they going to trust me? How are they, how are they? Lash and horror. This, he's speaking true negative speech about the Jewish people on his level. He's, we don't relate to it because that's considered like, what's wrong with that, right? On his level, that was a type of negative speech about the Jewish people. They're not going to believe me. They, what, what, you have no faith in the Jewish people? Right? So he says that they're not going to believe me. So look what happens. This is wild. Who wants to read? Yeah? Thanks, Lauren. Moses answered and said, Behold, they will not believe me, and they will not heed my voice, but they will say, The Lord has not appeared in you. And the Lord said to him, What is this in your hand? And he said, A staff. And he said, Cast it to the ground. And he cast it to the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch forth your hand and take hold of its tail. So Moses stretched forth his hand and grasped it, and it became a staff in his hand. In order that they believe that the Lord of God, of, that the Lord, the God of their forefathers has appeared to you, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Right. So what, what's happening here? Very deep, very deep concept. Again, on the surface, you just see the story. It's very interesting. When you look deeper in, it's reflecting this concept as one aspect of it, which is, which is this. As soon as Moses says, they won't believe me. The Jews are not going to believe me. They're not going to listen to my voice. And they're going to say, the Lord did not appear to you. So he's basically saying, the Jews are completely going to you know, disbelieve, disbelieve. They don't have any amuna. They don't have any faith. The first thing God says to him, what's this in your hand? He says, a staff. So he goes straight, as soon as he speaks Lashon Haram, he goes straight back to the staff. What's, what's the connection with the staff and the first source we just read? Huh? Is it the serpent? Yes. What happens? 
As soon as he said throw it on the ground, he cast it to the ground, it became back to the Nachash. So some, there's some commentaries that say that went back to the original Nachash. I went back to the original Nachash. And it's all due to speech, right? Losh and horror. So what happens? Moses, Moses was so terrified that he fled. Moses fled. Moses is sitting there talking. Let's just get a reality check. Moses is standing there talking to God directly. Directly talking to God. And he fled from a little staff that turned into a snake. You hear it doesn't really... So what's going on? Why was Moses so terrified of this? What's the connection here? He was terrified of the symbol of what this was. Because he saw there's somehow here... There's some type of evil, evil that is brought into the world cosmically when Lashon Hara has spoken and he saw the effect of what he'd just done. Right? God was trying to teach him and show him. Oh, you spoke Lashon Hara? Look what, well, look what this just, well, look what this brings into the world. So what does he say? He says, this is another interesting idea. God said to him, don't run away. Instead, turn around, stretch forth your hand, take, grab, literally walk up to it and grab its tail. And when you grab its tail and like stare at it, stare at it in the face, so to speak, then it goes back to the being the staff. So you, you don't run away from it. Go back up into it and grab hold of it, and then it will retransform back. So there's there's a very um, deep, deep deep concept here about the cosmic manifestation of all evil, the embodiment of all evil, as a symbol of, of the serpent. And, and as that's been brought into the world through our negative speech and through true, ne- through true negative speech. Okay, so we have to understand now more deeply what is it that... What is this cosmic root? And why is it worse than all the others? Why is it worse than all the others? We talked about the fact that they said that... Um, says that Losh and Hara is worse than all the car- three cardinals cardinal sins but again it doesn't really make sense because if someone gets angry and it's worse than murdering someone right many generations it says many generations were destroyed because of speaking negatively about each other but then there were many many generations that were not destroyed and they did far worse things to each other so something here that's amiss there's an idea this is a bit freaky it's very Rabbi Tatsish but it's worth it's worth mentioning and spiritual sources, he says, that say that we do many things that are not right and there's justice and judgment for everything in life, right? The world is built on din. So sooner or later, everything's paid for. You don't get, get away with anything. At the end of the day, there's a, there's a final accounting and you, every single thing, good and bad, is accounted for. So, yet there's an ongoing assessment of who you are, right? It's not just like one judgment at the end. There is an ongoing assessment. This is very interesting, actually. He says that actually every night you're assessed. Do you know this? Your soul leaves your body through your fingertips, which is why we do Negalvasa in the morning. Do you know this? The, the, the soul leaves the body through the fingertips at night, goes up, has, you know, flies around, has, has fun, right, on whatever level. And it's, you're, you're, kind of, you're kind of assessed. Like, how's she doing? What's she doing? Right? So many sources say that there's this certain judgment depends on whether you spoke Losh and Horror or not. What does that mean? So, in its extreme form, Rabbi Tess likes to go to the extreme to make it clear, he says, a person can do a list of heinous crimes, but from the Torah's perspective, it's not actually held against you until you speak Losh and Hara. What does that mean? He says, you can't get away with anything. All right? You can't get away with anything in life, but there's a certain leniency or a certain favor towards you or a kindly fashion, so to speak, if you don't speak Losh and Hara. 
somehow, speaking Lush and Horror, is like a cosmic key that unlocks the immediate judgment for yourself. Right? It's a cosmic key here. We saw with the serpent. There's some sort of cosmic manifestation that happens with Lush and Horror. The serpent came into existence, which is, a, which is a symbol of evil. So speaking Lush and Horror becomes a cosmic key that unlocks a certain din on yourself as well. So what's the key? So you say one negative thing and they have to answer for everything on top of the Lush and Horror. Yeah, you say you start speaking Lush and Horror, then you now have to answer for everything. Whereas before, it was kind of a holding back. You looked at it a bit more favorably, a bit more kindly, probably had more time to correct. So a lot of the time, this world, even though it's a world of din, there's a lot of mercy in this world. So with a lot of the judgments are held back until we say, like, let me correct myself. Let me work on myself and correct myself. So that in the end, this is a different idea about din, but in the end, even if you did, din means judgment, by the way. So even though you did something maybe wrong in your life, and you know it was wrong, you worked on yourself so much that when that din, which is a judgment, comes down into the world for the negative thing you did, you're not standing there anymore because you've moved because you've transformed yourself. So, so that's what real chuva is. That's what real transformation is or ch real chuva is. It's that, not that you say, I'm sorry. It's that you really work on yourself to be the kind of person that would never have done that thing or ne would never do that thing again, right? If I become a different person that I wouldn't do that thing again, or I'm not likely to, then even though I put a negative action into the world that was a negative cosmic impact, and because I put it in the world, there has to be a, like a cause and effect cosmically. That if I put a negative into the world, there will be a response from the spiritual world down into this world because of the negativity I created, as in a judgment or a punishment. But I won't be standing there to receive it. That's what happens with Shiva. Shiva means you transform yourself so you're actually standing in a different place, so you don't receive that punishment anymore because you're just not there. Right? So on your own personal slate, you are not that person. It's very interesting. It's actually amazing. It's actually miraculous that we have the opportunity to do that. Right? And God is so patient and merciful and loving that he holds back that judgment to allow us time to grow and change. Like a lifetime, you know, usually. I'm not talking about day to day. Yeah, I'm very nervous because I know a lot of people reject onto God that he's this scary, judgmental, kind of punitive, negative, you know, being. God forbid. Right? But he's not. He's really loving and the opposite. Right? But, but, but you wouldn't really trust someone who wasn't really exacting in their assessment and analysis of the world. You want him to be accurate. So he is accurate with us, but he's also merciful and loving and allows us time to change. Okay, that's a Jackie thing, not a rabbit tats thing. But I, think it's, I believe it's really important, especially this generation. We need to hear it. Okay. Um, Let's look at speech and what, 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 what could it be that this, that speech is so powerful that it is a cosmic key and unlocks so many, so many aspects here. Speech we know is a definitive element of humans. Humans are actually called medaber in the Torah. The sages, the sages called humans. Medaber literally means a speaker. Here's the deep, this is really deep. Speaking, dibur, is not words from the mouth necessarily but here here's the here's the key the essence of speech which we call dibur in hebrew is really this concept of delving into the spiritual world and taking an abstract concept like thought and bringing it into the physical realm into expression so this whole idea of speech is really about taking an idea spiritually and bringing it into action in the world speech that we call speech with the lips 
is just the highest, most refined, articulate way of doing that, right? Speech, which is with the mouth and the words, is a refined and articulate way of taking an abstract concept and putting it into the world. Yet, the purpose of a Jew is to live with this concept and to live this truth of bringing every type of spiritual reality that we know exists and bringing it into the world into physical expression. Anytime you have something in potential energy in mind and you bring it into action and expressing an action with the hands or the body, this is called speech. Right? So the sages say that you can tell how wise someone is by how they walk. It's in their body. They bring into the... You know, if you, if you imagine like someone who's maybe, I don't know, not so smart, and they kind of just plonk along. Have you ever seen that? Like someone who's just like a nice, sweet, simple person, but like they just kind of thump along. You see, it reflects, right? Whereas someone who's a bit more... This doesn't always work, because you could have a beautiful, graceful dancer who's not necessarily wise, right? But this concept that generally the physical reflects what's internalized from the spiritual. Yeah? You with me? Yeah? So speech is just one aspect of a manifesting into action, a concept. But really, with our hands and our whole body, it's really about living and being that truth, that spiritual reality of a certain concept and how we act and how we move through the world. Right? We should be moving through the world, manifesting into action, spiritual ideas. That's the purpose of a Jew, actually. That is the purpose of a Jew. So what, this is what we call Kiddush Hashem. That's why Kiddush Hashem is such a serious mitzvah. That's why Hillel Hashem is such a serious mitzvah. The desecrating God's name, we stand, we not only do we represent ourselves, we represent a much bigger reality, which is representing God and what, representing what God stands for, which is morality and holiness. So that's what a Jew is. That's who we are. We're role models, we're representatives, we're ambassadors. You're like, but wait, oh, when did I sign up for the ambassador program? You did, you were at Sinai. <laughs> right. Um, that's when we signed. We said, oh, yeah, Nasa Vanishma, we'll do it. Right. We did. We just went through Shavuos. That's where we were at. And it's, very holy, it's a very holy mission. Um, and when you are able to do it in any kind of form, even if it's like with your family or with friends or in a bigger way, if you get the opportunity to, you feel like a million bucks. Like you, you can't, you, you, I can't even explain. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever experienced this yourself with your family or your friends where you've actually lived a spiritual truth and you stood up for something you believed in? You don't have to do it loudly. You don't have to do it in a pushy way, but you just did it and people respected you for it and you knew that you were standing for something just more than yourself. And it just, it, it satisfies a part in your soul that is just so fulfilling that you can't explain it. It's worth much more than a million bucks, you know? So I remember when I had one of my secular cousins visit me in Israel and she wanted to see Israel and she's really cute. And she stayed in my apartment at the time when I was living in Israel. And um, I was barely observant. I mean, like a year or two in, you know, but I knew a lot more than she did. And I wanted to show her certain things. And I took her to a couple of classes. She wasn't into the classes. She wasn't there. She wasn't open to it. She didn't want to know about it really. But she really liked me. She looked up to me. She's a lot, long, lot younger than me. And anyway, so I thought, great, we'll go, I'll take her to the Dead Sea. We'll just do some fun things. We'll hang out, spend some time. She's a second cousin, but we, we're close. And um, anyway, she didn't really ask me that much about Judaism. I was like, fine, I'm not into pushing. You know, I just enjoy her. So we were in the old city. And uh, someone came up to speak to us, and I introduced her, them to my cousin. And then we just started chatting about, I don't kind of remember what. And that was it. And anyway, about... We said goodbye, we had a great trip, and about, I don't know, it was about a year later, it was, must have been about a year later when I visited Australia again for my family, and then I saw her, you know, for a coffee, or for lunch, 
And she, I said, so did you enjoy your time in Israel? Do you have any thoughts after your trip in Israel? Is anyone hot? I feel like everyone's getting like tired and sleepy and like it's really stuffy. No? Should I put on the air a little bit? No. Okay. It's just the weather. It's the weather? It's the rain? I'm impressed you're all out here. You get extra points for being in a class on a night like this. Anyway. Um, so I, uh, anyway, so about a year later we were having lunch and I said, did you have any, uh, any thoughts after Israel? Did you, you know, are coming back? And she said, yeah, it was great, it was fun, you know. She, she was, no, not really. And uh, she said, you know, there's, there's a whole thing like about not speaking negatively about other people, isn't there, Jackie? I went, yes, actually, it's a really big mitzvah. Why, why do you say that? She goes, oh, because I saw you, you do that. Meaning you speak, you don't speak negatively, right? I said, I do. I was like, thank God, I've not, like, sometimes I do well and sometimes I don't do well, you know? And she said, yeah, yeah, don't you remember that time we're in the old city? And that person, I don't even know she knows about this mitzvah, right? If you're, not, if you're not in in the world of Judaism and learning about Judaism, how would you know about speech, right? You just wouldn't even think about it necessarily. I mean, some people are nicer people than others, but it's not like forbidden, you know? And, and um, she says, oh yeah, you know that time when that girl came running up and she started telling about that other girl and she started saying all these negative things and you wouldn't answer her? And you wouldn't get engaged in the conversation and you just kind of change the... Do you remember that? You changed the topic of the conversation because you didn't want to speak negatively about that girl. Remember that in the old city? We were standing by the shawarma place and that girl <laughs> ran up and she started talking to you. Remember that girl that when you met back from that seminary you took me to with those horrible classes? And, like, and, that, you know, and that girl ran up to you and, you and I was like, I had no recollection of what she's talking about. None. I have no clue what she's talking about. I was just like, thank God I didn't speak Lajanara at that point. Meaning, thank God I didn't... But she got it and she noticed it and she was so deeply affected that she brought that out of the whole of Israel. That was the example she brought up that affected her the most. Isn't this wild? You know, this taught me so much, right? She was impacted so deeply that I didn't discuss negatively another girl with another girl in front of her because that's what you're not meant to do, right? She says, you're not meant to speak negatively, right? I went, yeah, that's right. She goes, I like that, <laughs> right? It's amazing, right? She, she was deeply impacted, even though she had no frame of reference for that. And I, I don't know, but my sense is it's because it's somehow part of the fabric of the core here, of what we're meant to be doing in this life. So what's going on with speech? Speech is the closest mode to thought, is the highest, the most, most, most refined, most articulate. What's the neck? What's the function of the neck? Like, why do we have a neck? <laughs> Robert taps something funny. He says, I know, because you think about for six million years ago when we were giraffes, we needed a neck, you know? Connects your head to your Yes. And what is your head representative versus your body? The intellect versus the... Yeah, higher world versus lower world. And the neck connects the two. So the neck, by the way, this is an awesome idea for anyone who's ever into body work or any kind of body-oriented uh, focus, that the body is built to reflect again the spiritual realities. So if you want to know anything about the spiritual world, you look into also parts of the bodies that reflect it. So it's wild, right? For an example, the word for face is panim. The word for face, panim, is the same as panim. Panim means inside you. So when you want to look, the spiritual root of looking is about looking inside someone to see what's reflected inside. You look at their panim, their face, to see what's inside someone. 
If I look at someone's hand, I can't see anything about them in deeply, right? If I want to look inside someone, I want to look into their face, I look into their panim to see their panim, panimius, right? Amazing. So every part of the body reflects a certain type of spiritual reality. Um, a reflection in physicality of what it is at its root in the spiritual world, I guess is a better way of saying it. And each part of our body indicates and is doing what it does because that root is there. So if you study the body well, you can learn everything about the spiritual world. So as we said before, speech is taking of abstraction and bringing it into practical expression. We take the root and bring it into expression in this world. So why is mouth, the mouth, the organ of speech? You know? It's the only organ that's connected to both your inside and out. Ooh, nice. I like that. How is that? The whole the whole organ the itself has inside and has outside. That's so good. So does the nose and the ears. But we don't really use our nostrils to breathe. Like you don't have to use the outside. You have to use all the outside as well. You have to use lips to speak. And the tongue is inside, and you need the tongue to speak and the lips to speak. <laughs> but when we breathe, we don't need to go. You don't need to. You don't need to use the nostrils on the outside. You're right. Kind of. I mean, yeah. When you work out. Huh? No. I mean, I. Anyway, okay. I like the. I like the theory. I'm going with it. Um, the mouth is, 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 a, is connection. So the mouth represents connection. It's connection between two worlds, the higher world, bringing it into reality, into the, into the lower world, which is what we spoke about. It's also connection between two people. Like we said, how do humans connect? By the way, you know this because the halakha to pray is to pray out loud. I always had a problem with this. What do you mean? If God, if God really exists and he knows, then he knows surely what's in my head and my heart. So why on earth do I have to pray aloud in a whisper, loud enough for me to hear it, right? You don't have to scream it from the, from the hilltops. You just need to stand there and, and whisper any kind of prayer, even informal prayer in your own words, not even formal prayer. You have to say it aloud, loud enough in a whisper that you hear it is the halacha, is the Jewish law. So weird. I was like, but surely if there's a God, he knows what I'm thinking and feeling. Why do I need to do that? So it turns out that you have to do that because if you want to connect to God, you have to speak aloud because that's how we connect. So whenever a student comes to me and says, you know, I'm praying and I'm just not connecting. I can't tell you how many times this happens. But a student will come to me sincerely and, and, and stressed out about it and says, you know, I'm trying to do stuff. I'm praying and I just don't feel connected at all. Not, like, no, there's no difference. My, what's my first question? Are you praying out loud? And what's the answer 99% of the time? No. Oh, I have to pray aloud? Like, do I have to really do that? Like, can't I just, I can, can't I just think it? Right? I said, no, you have to feel silly and you have to speak aloud for a little bit and then you won't feel silly anymore. Right? You have to let yourself get over that hump of feeling silly. You know? Like, just to actually speak aloud because it feels really weird. But, like, do it somewhere private. No one has to look. You know, you don't have to pay anything. You don't, you know, it's free. It's private. You know, like, just do it. And, like, say, I'm going to feel silly for a bit. I'm just going to let myself feel silly. And nine times out of ten, they'll come back to me and say, yeah, it's totally different. Because we need it. That's why God knew, knew that. So that's why I put it in, right? So speech is about connection between two worlds and connection between two people. It's all done with the mouth. There's actually three functions of the mouth. 
Which are? Breathing, speech, and eating. Eating. Praying. Praying is a part of? Speaking. 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 New word. New word of the day. What's the third? Sorry, that was a microphone. No, that was <laughs> so aggressive. I just do that. What is it? No, this was a microphone. <laughs> she was like, yes, and she looked like she really wanted, and I thought I was just doing the microphone. Like, this didn't work at all. Okay, <laughs> sorry. I didn't mean that to be aggressive. I'm sorry. I'm just teasing her. She's teasing me, not you. Yes, nothing yeah. to do So we have eating, we have speaking. What's the third function of the mouth? What? Not really a function of the mouth. It goes through the mouth. It's a very holy group. I know, isn't it? I'm, but I'm in shock. Kissing. Kissing. Thank you so oh. much. That's a bit so long. I didn't go there. I was like, kissing. Yeah. Yeah. And baby told me that. We need a baby to go. Oh, I know. Like, we're just like. <laughs> so he's like, we can't think what else the lips we use for. And the tongue. The lips and the. Wow, I'm impressed, guys. Wow. Okay. Um, their mind doesn't even go there. It's, it is actually really amazing. Um, Eating, speaking, and kissing, right? Three functions. So if we know, if the axiom is that every part of the body teaches us about its root, spiritual root, then if one part has more than one function, all of those are connected to the same root. Yes? Just like we, we know with Hebrew words, if it, has this, if it has a similar root in Hebrew, so those two words that have similar roots are connected in concept. Same thing. So why not have two mouths, one for eating, one for speaking? And maybe a third for kissing, I don't know. Because they're kind of you wouldn't get food in, sorry, what? They're related, they're almost one and the same. They're really related. They are, because the fun, their functions have a connection, but wouldn't it be easier just to have different mouths? So the Gomorrah, it's so interesting, the Gomorrah says, no, we mess up enough with one. Like, let's just keep it with one, right? And the Gomorrah actually says that. Okay, so there's a focus. Let's talk about eating. Eating is connection. This is, this is wild. Uh, this blew me away. Eating is the process of taking energy in from the world that keeps the spiritual world inside the physical. Again. The reason the soul stays in the body is because you eat. On the spiritual level. What does that mean? Food becomes the glue that keeps the soul anchored into the physical. Because the soul just wants to fly out. The soul just want, does not want to be in a tiny little contract trapped a little limited body. The soul's much bigger, right? And we only access the lower, lower, lowest parts of our soul except on Shabbos and we, we access just like one little bit more of the soul, right? And when they say you get an extra soul on Shabbos, you don't get an extra soul. You access in a higher level of your own soul that we don't access in the week. But it's still, it's like the tip of the bottom, right? The soul's huge. So, so why on earth would the soul stay in the body? So apparently food was created to be that glue, spiritually. I don't know how that works. And he says, it's so interesting, one of the sources of that, if you look on your source sheet, is the tenth saying of creation, introduces food straight after humans are created. So humans are created with a body and a soul. And it says, be fruitful and multiply. And fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea. So basically he's made man and he's ble God blesses them and woman. And then the next, the next statement says, And behold, I have given you every seed-bearing herb which is upon the surface of the entire earth, and every tree that is seed-bearing fruit, it will be yours for food. So the fact that food, again, because nothing's random, the fact that food came straight after the creation of, of people indicated that food was a necessary part of our sustenance and maintenance, not just physically, right? Because the physical is a reflection of the spiritual. 
So if they go together, so food actually reflects there's somehow a connection here between the spiritual and physical. So it's interesting, if you don't eat, you become faint. Right? Mm -hmm. So of course that's on a physical level. Physiologically it's all true. It's not like that's not true. But what's reflecting on the spiritual level, because we know that everything in the physical reflects the spiritual reality. So what's happening on the spiritual is that the soul is starting to become dislodged. That's the faintness. And if you still don't eat, then what happens even more? You get even more dizzy and even more faint. And if you don't eat, I still don't eat anymore, God forbid, you can actually become unconscious. The soul actually starts to separate away from the body. And if you don't eat any more, the body, the soul will leave permanently. Wild, right? I was going to say, like, in opposition um, with the Lashon Harath, is that, like, it's your only internal organ that has um, contact with the external environment. Nice. So that, that reflects, <laughs> and that reflects the concept that bring, of speech is about bringing something from a higher spiritual into the physical. Did you like that? That, that? that was very clear, wasn't it? Right? Yeah, on video. I'm so glad it's not on video. Okay, right? It brings what's inside. Actually, that's a very deep idea, and that's the next source. So hold, hold that thought. It is the next source on the source sheet. And we're going to get there, because it does talk about that difference of the tongue in the sitter. Okay, so let's just finish with eating. So it's the glue that holds the spiritual and the physical. Corbonus offerings are brought because that is where the world eats. It's the spiritual essence of Hashem's presence that resides in the physical structure of the temple, right? The temple itself is considered where the world eats, right? We bring animals for offering, for sacrifices back in the day. And interestingly, laws of sacrifices parallel laws of meals, right? So it's about the connection here between food and on the macro, we're talking on the macro level and, and Korban Lachmi is like a Korban of my bread, right? So there's food words in there for Korbanus. The laws are similar to meals. That there's a whole parallel here of the temple being where the world eats on the macro level and that we offer Korbans like that. We have speaking, which we've talked about, and then we have kissing. So what's kissing? Kissing is a natural manifestation of connection, even between mother, child, mother and child, bless you. It's an expression of connection. Men back in the day used to kiss each other as greetings all the time. It wasn't an, it wasn't an issue. It wasn't a sign of this or that, right? Didn't mean anything, right? It wasn't, it was just a natural, bless you, affectionate way of greeting, bless you. And well, sneezing's next week. Um, and, um, and it was a natural way of, uh, of connection. So kissing is a, is a natural manifestation of connection, but it doesn't really make sense. Kissing, like if, if, if we, we think, okay, kissing, because we, we know about it and, we, and we've done it and it, it's just normal. But if you, if you were asked to create a function that reflects connection, kissing, you would do kissing. Like, <laughs> Robert Chat says, it's like, it, it, it's, it's messy, it's slobbery, and it's kind of gross and unhygienic. Like, why would you possibly create this thing called, right? It's kind of gross if you think about it, actually what we're doing, right? Putting your lips up against someone, like, it's just like disgusting, right? So he says, like, right? If you step back objectively and look at it, it doesn't really make holding sense. Holding hands makes more sense. Yeah, holding hands would make more sense, right? So what does the mouth that speaks have to do with kissing and eating? Where is the mouth of the world? What city is known as the mouth of the world? Yes, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Jerusalem is known as the mouth of the world. And there were three things in the temple. There were sacrifices, which we just said were like the eating of the world, because you offered the, the animals up with the parallels of the meals and the laws. The voice 
speaking was heard between the two trubim, yeah? The two angels that were facing each other in the temple. And they were, when God was happy with us, they were facing together. And when God, we were far away from God, they would turn outwards, right? Remember this? When they were facing towards each other, the Kashem's voice would come through there. And the third is, it's known, the temple is literally known. It's where heaven and earth kiss. That's what the temple is described as, where heaven and earth kiss. So you see the three functions of mouth, of connection, were reflected literally in the temple. The three functions of connection. Yeah. The two angels that you um, just spoke about, were those like just like a metaphorical thing? No, I think they were physical. They were physical. There were miracles happening all in the temple all the time. That, that's why it's sculptures in a way? Yeah, I think okay. so. I mean, there's deep graphic details about how I think what they're made of and in, all the, in the temple parshas, we can look it up. But um, they were all physical. Everything that was happening there was physical and there was miracles going on 24-7. It was literally a place that transcended the physical realm, but it was in the physical realm. So that's why it's literally where heaven and earth kiss, because it was not, it was not, it was in this world, but not of this world, right? Um, okay. So the concept of God's speech was creation as well. We talked about the word was the thing, right? When God created the world, He literally spoke the world into existence. You've heard this, yes? So devar, the word for, to, for speak, devar, means also the word for thing. So when God actually spoke the thing into existence, it, it was created, right? So God, God, God's speech and creation were the same, one and the same. We obviously can't do that, right? Um, abracadabra, you know the, the famous abracadabra, comes from what is it? Anida bear. I speak and I will create. I will create. Like I speak. Say it again. Say it again. Abara, like I. Abara is create. like. Dabara, like I speak. Abara kadabra. Isn't that amazing? All these things come from Hebrew and Torah. This is what blew me away. Was when I was back in the day, showing up at, you know, Nevei Yerushalayim knowing zero, and then I would think I knew a strong principle about life from psychology or from Buddhism and whatever, I would just find the roots all in Torah. Like, it was unbelievable, right? Everything you, you see generally goes back to that. There's a number, there's a number of those, actually. Um, okay. I will speak, I will create as I will speak, right? That's from this, this concept. Um, we speak about things. We don't speak the things, obviously, right? So our, our words aren't things, but God's word is the thing. Davar is speech and thing. So speaking actually is the energy of creation. Bear with me, because we're going in deep, and then we're going to come back around, and you're going to understand how all this fits in together. Speaking is actually the energy of creation. God brought the world into creation through speech. And we are made in his image and we also speak and we create with our words. We just don't create in a, in a physical way, in the same way that God did at the time. So voice, voice where is voice formed? Where is voice formed? Our vocal cords. Yeah, which sit in? The neck. Sit in the neck again. The voice is formed in the connection between the higher worlds and the lower worlds. And the purpose of a Jew we talked about is to bring out a higher level, higher world into this lower world. 
So if you want to sabotage the world, like we learned from the serpent, you pervert speech. Yeah, you distort speech. If you want to sabotage the ability of the physical world to express its spiritual root, is the key of the whole world. Again, the ability of the physical world to express its spiritual root is the key. So our whole purpose is to speak out the truth by the way we live, right? It's the mouth being the highest form of that, the highest, most refined articulate. But the whole purpose of life is to live out the truth, right? Of that higher reality. So when you pervert speech, you actually start to break the fabric of the world down cosmically. This is wild. Have you ever, ever thought about speech like this before in your life? It's like unbelievable. This was the purpose of the creation of the world and we are able to tap into that, create, that energy by using speech and if we use that very function to do the opposite then we're perverting the creation of the world and destroying the, 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 the world so to speak just like the nakash okay so why is lost horror worse than saying lies this is very important if you lie aren't you perverting speech right if you lie aren't you perverting speech so why is truth worse after Shmoni Esrei the last source here we say, My God, guard my tongue. My tongue from evil, from Lash and Hara, from speaking negative truth. And my lips, My lips from speaking deceitfully. So interestingly, protect my tongue from speaking evil, Lash and Hara, my lips from speaking deceitfully. Lash and Hara is from a deep source inside from the tongue. Right? Speaking negative truth is from the tongue. When you speak, we talked before, you need all five parts. The palate, the tongue, the lips, the throat, and the teeth. But when we speak about Lash and Hara, we speak about the inner organ, the tongue. It's deeper than the superficiality of lies. Right? When you tell a lie, this is, this is really deep, this is, this is, this is the point. When you, when you tell a lie, you are not really speaking, according to the Jewish perspective. Speaking in the concept of speaking as we know speaking now. When you tell a lie, you're not really speaking, you're pretending to speak. What does that mean? When you speak, if you're really speaking, you're taking what's in here, or what's a higher truth, but that's in here, abstractly, and you're bringing it out, right? I'm able to share it with you. That's what speech is. Speech is I'm taking something from inside, a reality, uh, an experience, a feeling, an abstract idea, a thought, a higher truth. And I'm share, able to share it with you through my speech. That's, that's what speaking means. Whether I'm living it, whether I'm saying it. When you lie, you're not taking what's in here. It never was in here. You hear? When you lie, you're not taking what's in here. It wasn't in there. You're making it up. You're making it up superficially. I get that, but it's still just as damaging. One second. You've got to hang go right to the end and then back. I'm waiting. Okay. <laughs> it appears to be what speech is but it's not, right? It appears to be what speech is. It's superficial. So it is perverting what the mechanism is designed to do. There's no question, it is forbidden. It's perverting the mechanism. That's the evil of lies, it's perverting the mechanism. But you're pretending to speak. So what happens when I say Lashon Hara, something harmful that is true, and why is it worse? Because I'm really speaking, it's something real. I'm really speaking, but I'm using real speech and using that to do harm in the world. So I'm going into the core and I'm really using the mechanism with its full force 
from the inside, but I'm punching in a, in a destructive way. Whereas the other one is like, okay, I'm using the function in a, in, a, in a warped way, in a way that I shouldn't, perverting it, but it doesn't reach inside and it doesn't have the same punch in the world because it never really existed. I'm not, I'm not sharing what's really there. It's superficial. It's deceitful. It's forbidden, but it doesn't destroy the fabric of the cosmos, of the universe, cosmically. Right? This is a very deep idea. I don't expect us to feel it, but this is what's going on behind the scenes. Like, why is it so serious? Does that make sense? It actually does. It's very, very deep. Mm -hmm. Does that make a bit more sense? Yeah, because it's like on the cosmic level. You're not actually right. Yeah, it's not saying you can't damage a human being yeah, with yeah, the yeah. lies. It's just you're not actually changing the universe. You're not changing the, the whole, altering the whole fabric yeah. of the universe, and you're not distorting. It's not. It's not damaging you. Meaning, lost and hard damages you. Yeah. As much as it does the other person, if not more, really. Yeah. Right. It damages you. And of course, then it damages you because you also then get judged more harshly within at the time, right? It's a cosmic key that activates your own assessment in a different way. Um, meter connected meter, obviously, if you speak negatively about others, then it comes back on you. There's all many, many levels here. Um, does anyone have any questions on this point? Yes. Yeah. Um, is it considered Lush and Hara if you're just saying something negative to someone? You're directing it to them. What do you mean? Like you're saying, let's say for example, you're saying you're ugly <laughs> to their face. Is that considered technically lush and hard? I think it's called onus devarim, pain, pain with words. Okay. You're not allowed to hurt someone with with your words. So it's a different category. It's a different category. But it's it's us, it's usser. Okay. Meaning it's you know. I'm answer. sure it's usser. Right. To know no, I think it's a different category. I think lush and is about the person to another person. Okay. Like there's, a, there's, a, there's a speaker and a receiver, and then you're talking about the person, and all three are damaged in the process of Lashon Hara. The speaker, the person listening to the Lashon Hara is damaged, and the person you're talking about is damaged. There's a three-way blowout happening. That's why if you're, if you're on the receiving end and you can't get out of Lashon Hara, you're, you just have to say to yourself, this is just not the whole story, and I cannot believe it. There's a whole other side of the story I just don't know. You have to look at life that way. I don't know the whole story. And that is what Ayin Tova is. Ayin Tova, having a good eye, is always to see a whole person as a whole person. So even if someone's telling you something negative that is true, you can always default back to, this is just one part of a story here. I have no clue how this person grew up, what their opportunities were, how what I would do if I was in their position, and I had their background, right? That's what it means, Ayin Tova, to have a good eye. And then if you look at other people that way, it says, God looks down to you with an Ayin Tova, with a good eye. And says, oh, she's doing her best. She was in a hard situation. Yeah. What if um, you say something hurtful in the attempt of helping them? That's called tachacha. That's a mitzvah. It's called tachacha, which is rebuke. That you give, you're giving constructive rebuke to someone with the aim of helping them. It is totally not in the category of Lashon Hara. As long as you think they could, there's a good possibility they'll receive it from you. Right? Rabbi Tatsky's hysterical, hysterical example where he said he was uh, at the barber and there was an Israeli there getting his, 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 his uh, beard cut. Now, it's, it's forbidden for a man to have a blade up against the, the side locks here, right up against it. They let it grow a little bit. There's a certain amount of, amount of uh, hair they have to let grow. He said, but what are the chances he would walk up to this Israeli who's getting a, his, his thing shaved and say, by the way, you know that's forbidden? 
Like the chance he's going to change his whole life and become, you know, observant in, at least in that area is very, very slim. So he didn't say anything, even though technically he would want to help him and he would tell him if he would listen. You have to know who you're talking to and you have to know if they're going to receive your, your rebuke. And if not, you might tell someone else to tell them if you felt that they would receive it from that other person. I've done that sneakily behind people's backs before. Now, if let's say he did say something, well, then that would be bad, right? If like what? If he said you should not shave that area of your face, that would be not a good thing. Because he's not going to listen to it. Some guy in a barber shop who doesn't know you is not going to take your advice seriously. But is that statement like on the, um, you know, on the bad side? No, you just, you, there's no mitzvah to go up and do that because A, then he's, he's actually in a worse position. There's a whole concept so that if you don't know something, it's better than if now you tell someone, by the way, that's forbidden, and he says, who are you? And he's going to go and do it anyway. You've actually made him more responsible and accountable now. So you've done him a negative if you know he's not going to listen to you and receive it. Okay. Make sense? Yeah. Um, is there a difference between whether or not you know it's the truth? Like when Moses said... Um, they're not going to listen to me? Yeah, they're not going to listen to me. That's something in the future. How does he know that it's the truth? Did he? Does he believe that it's the truth? Yeah, he believed that they, that it really was the, the truth. He believed that they really wouldn't So it's, it's considered lush and her if you believe it's the truth and you're saying it in a negative way. Like whether yeah. it's actually the truth or not, it doesn't matter. It's whether you think that it's the truth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it might, it's, pro it's probably from your encounters with that person in the past that leads you to feel they're not going to do it in the future. Like he knew the Jewish people, so he was saying, based on what I know, they're not going to listen to me. So it's lost and horror because it might be, well, they didn't listen to me in the past, you know. Usually our opinions are formed from our experiences. So you could say, my experiences with this person is that they're not going to do X, Y, and Z. That would be lost and horror, right? But whether or not like a, a fact that you're saying is the truth or not the truth. Objectively? Objectively. Yeah, you believe it's true. You believe it's yeah. true. It doesn't have to be the truth. Right. If it's not the truth, then it would be called rechilas, meaning like you're just making up lies. Right. But how are you supposed to know what the truth is? You're not. It's just whether you believe it. Whether you, but based on your experience, you feel that this is the true thing about this person right. that you're sharing and saying, I'm, being, I'm just being honest. But how are you supposed to know anything else, right? Experience is the only thing that right. can indicate right. that. So how, is he, how was Moses supposed to think any differently? Well, if he's based... speaking about their character. He's so speaking about the character. That's, that's the truth. Right. Like, he, he shouldn't, he shouldn't have spoken it. future action, but he was speaking about their character, which is the truth. Which right is the now. truth right now. Yeah. Exactly. Their character is they're not going to believe me. But the that's the nature of them right now they're not going to believe me it's not really about the future we're getting very philosophical here it's not about the future it's about what you what you believe about that person now based on what you were told what you saw what your experiences are you know and you believe it to be true or someone told you and you believe them and that they told you it's true it, yeah. at the same time like could he be saying that statement in the context that like i'm not your leader like hashem is the leader which is why they won't listen to me out of like a truthful thought, not it, out of like It is a, true, but it was negative, meaning he also was saying that basically they won't have any faith in me, they won't have any faith in Hashem, they're not going to have any faith in the process, they're not going to... Meaning, at his level, we wouldn't be held accountable for that level of refinement, but at his level, he, he, he's held accountable. Because in certain, the higher you go, the more refined everything needs to be. So if we said that, we probably wouldn't be as accountable, obviously, yeah. So just to be clear, because I feel like I've heard before that 
Lashonhar is just speaking about other people, is it only negative? Like, if you speak positively about other people, or I guess neutrally about other people? It's anything, it's, it's anything that, well, firstly, the, the people who really don't speak Lashonhara, if you watch the patterns of speech, don't generally speak about other people in general, I've, I've noticed. Um, because once you get into that, it's very hard to get out, and it's, you can't control it once you're starting to speak about someone, especially if it's with a couple people, because you don't know what their impressions are. So if I start raving on and on, the only negative about the positive side of this, if you rave on and on and on about someone's cooking, say, I went to this place for Shabbos, oh my gosh, their, their food was unbelievable, they're such a good cook, it's amazing, right? And then someone else ate there and said, well, really? Oh, I went there, it wasn't that great. All of a sudden, if you label something as really, really positive, then... It can actually evoke the opposite. So they say, don't go over the top with anything, whether it be praise or obviously negative. Losh and horror, the definition is anything that that person would not want you to say about them to someone else. Like, and you, all you have to do is imagine if that person was standing right here, would I say this thing in that way to that person? So not to be negative, just something they didn't want. You exactly, know. and it changes based on the person. It's very important. It's very Right, so if in doubt, if in doubt, don't. If in doubt, don't. Don't speak about other people. That is really the safe safeguard. Is just generally don't speak about another person. Just generally, just to chat, just to, to patch up on gossip. Now that's a way that a lot of people connect. Oh, what's so and so doing? And where did they? You know, old friends from where you grew up. You know, what's so and so doing now? And did they get married? Oh, they're divorced. What happened? Boom, you're in it. Oh my gosh, they're divorced. That's so sad. Is she okay? What happened? Boom, you're in Lost and Hard Bang, right? How many times does that happen where you go back and catch up with old friends? Oh, they broke up with their boyfriend? Oh yeah, he cheated on Oh my gosh, you're joking. Paul, should I call her? What happened? Who did he cheat on her with? Like, all of a sudden you're in that comment, right? How many times does this happen? Yeah, oh, she lost her job. Why she was, like, and it's all coming from care initially, but then you're in it and it's so juicy. So how do you right? even talk to people in general? I feel like there's so many limits. There's so many limits about talking about other people. So just try not to speak about other people. Right. Talk about yourself. Talk about positive ideas. No, 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 <laughs> reality. I'm like, oh, I just bumped into your cousin. She's great. How is she? Great. She's great. Yeah. Be selective. Just choose out. Just you have to. It's like it involves like this thing called conscious thought, which is actually exhausting. Yeah. But you, you, exhausting. <laughs> yeah. But but you have to do it. You have to do it. And and the more you know, there's a great one of my friends, Esther Ween, or you know her. She teaches. She she does a class called the great uh, greatness is in in the invisibility. It's a fantastic class, and she talks about how your greatness comes from some holding back. Like when you hold back and don't say a comment, God knows what you did. Like you build yourself in a greatness by not speaking that comment. And you can fill a million bucks and call up another friend and go, you wouldn't believe it, I wanted to say this juicy piece of gossip and I didn't say it. That you could speak to another friend about. You should go, what, what's the gossip? Right? No, you can't say that. Right? But, yeah, like... I have a question. Wait, one sec, there was one other? Was there another? It's like a follow-up Yeah. Just, does this also apply to non-Jews? It's not the same for same prohibition. Like, you're particularly punished by the fact that you're talking about your family in that way. Like, don't mess with the family, right? Did you get that? Godfather Mafia? No? Uh, yeah. Don't mess with the family. <laughs> anyway, so outdated. Um, anyway, so, um, but they, anyone of any real internalization of this concept, it's not nice to speak about anyone that way, and you shouldn't get into that pattern. Why are we talking about them? I mean, Negative. Non-Jews talking to you about somebody Oh, you're talking about the other way? Yeah. Is the, it depends if the other person's Jewish. It's really bad if a non-Jew starts to speak Lashon Hara about another Jew and then you believe it about the Jew, but it's a non-Jew speak. 
Yeah, because then you're receiving the Lashon Hara about the Jew. Right, so if it's a non-Jew talking about a non-Jew, just just to you, like, (laughs) you're friends with someone who's not Jewish talking about their boyfriend who just left them, like, you're not supposed to hear it, kind of thing. The non-Jew talking to the what? To you, about another another non-Jew. It's not. You're not supposed to hear it. It's not nice. Like I, in my head, I don't go through that occasion of like, is it? Wait, are they Jewish? Are they not Jewish? Like I don't. I just try not to do it because I, I don't trust myself that I'm. It's not the same spiritual weight in the sense of the mitzvah halakhically, like forbidden. But as far as like my own character traits and midos, I, 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 I'm not at the level where I could just discern that. So I just don't. I just try not to do it. And it's just not. I just don't. It's just not nice. So I, I don't do it. You know, like, and they, and if you, I don't believe someone can be in a pattern of just saying whatever about a certain category of people, and then not about, you know, another category. I, did, I did, as far as your own character traits, so I, I don't, don't do it. But it does not carry the same weight as, you know, in the sense of the mitzvah, in the same way. Yeah. What about wanting to be just a good listener? Sometimes people just need a vent. Right. So there's a venting. There's a venting loophole. Right? There is, there is a venting loophole, but what that means is you pick one person that you trust, that you know is trustworthy, who's not going to repeat it, that you know has demonstrated their trust, and you can say, I'm just venting, and you can say, I just need to vent. Yeah? Knowing that that person is going to hear you as, oh, she's venting, this is her side, but I'm not, they're not going to necessarily believe that this is the whole picture. You have to choose that person wisely. That's right? allowed? Yes. <laughs> can you not use it? That's allowed. And if you don't use names, they can't be identified, which is really right. tricky because how many times have I been in a situation and I, the person's venting to me without names and I'm like, wait a sec, I know who you're talking about. Like, I've done that to my friends before. Like, I was like, before you go on, like, I know this is not, I'm not going to re- accept it as the whole, and I'm not going to think it's the whole picture, but I know who you're talking about. So, like, you have to really try and do it in a way where you can just go for it then without names, for sure, for sure, disguise it. Um, but you can also vent because we do need to vent. We do need to talk things out. It's different if you're speaking to a psychologist, a Rebbitson. It's different if you're getting advice from someone. Of course, of course. You know, even for me as a psychologist, trained as a psychologist, I got. I went to a, a Rav and asked who specialised in, in smirsaloshan and speech. I said, "What do I do?" My friends talk to me about their problems as friends, not as a professional client, because they know I have a psychology background. So then, what do I do? Because and he said, "You're in a different category because you are professionally trained, and so they are talking to you." As a, because they want your advice, so it's in a different category. So like, you have to know who you're talking to. You have to know, you know, trust. Pick, pick your trustworthy people. Yeah. It's also not that. It's not that crazy of a con- It sounds so crazy because it's it's hard to think about those specific people. But I, when you're saying it, like I'm I'm thinking about like a best best friend that you know like is maybe like having a crazy like panic attack, and you know like maybe you know them so well that you know what they're saying isn't really what they are normally or what they really feel but like it's just them in the moment and you're just taking it as and you don't really you know they're just getting out it's like exactly that that's the healthy receiver yeah, that's right, the healthy exactly. receiver like, attitude really like i think like to just like Choose. emphasize like just know who you're speaking to totally like, I, I can yeah. literally think of a person in my mind right now like but I, but like one out of everyone right um, you know all my friends i also have one like, one yeah, or two people like, that i speak to that i know it's like a, it's like a dead end it's not going to go anywhere they're not going to make big judgments and assumptions about other people based on what I've said. Sometimes I, if I'm not sure, I'll say I'm just venting, right? But I need to vent. And what do you think I should do? Yeah. Um, I have kind of like two questions side by side. So I'm assuming obviously this applies also to like messaging or whatever with, you know, our technology. Today. Yeah, the text doesn't get out of it. Sure. Um, what about like when you're journaling, if you're self-venting through like just journaling? It's fine because no one should read it, hopefully. You're not, you're not doing it. There's no receiver. 
assist you. But oh, by the way, you're not allowed to speak Lashon Hara about yourself. Did you know this? Isn't that isn't that still receiving though? Half the Lareka Kamocha, right? You're not allowed to. No. no. So what if you're like? To, no, about back. yourself to other people. Oh, but to yourself. Like, it's not. It's not nice. Sense. I don't know if it's Lashon Hara, but it's not nice. But isn't journaling like? Putting something out into the world, kind of like speech. That's, yeah. No, because no receiver. No receiver. That's not the. That's not the forbidden. Is not getting things off your mind. The forbidden is saying it to someone who's receiving it. Right. Right. Like you could be. In the, you could like also be. In, you could out. go to the. You could go to the forest and do his photodut, which is a type of verbal meditation where you just talk aloud to God, and you could be screaming your head off in the forest with no one around and talking lush and hard till the cows come home, and it's still considered okay. No one's there to receive it except God, but He knows the truth. Yeah. So it's like someone has to receive the Lashon Hara, right? Someone has to actually listen to it and believe it, and you have to be talking about someone else, right? Can I ask something? I also yeah. I also heard that if you're trying to help someone, for example, you need like a carpenter, and you're like, oh, and I'm an interior designer, so you know that I know good carpenters yeah. like Viv. Uh, Ted was recommended to me. So what do you think? And I know that Ted is. Not terrible, so right? It's gonna really mess you up. So there's, there's, I, so there's definitely a category called. Anyone know the word? When you are allowed to speak lashon hara, there are certain conditions that you have to meet to be able to speak lashon hara. But there are, uh, there is a category where you are allowed to speak lashon hara. Does anyone know what it's called? When you're an expert at something. Yeah. It's called toelis, meaning for benefit. When it's for benefit for someone, they're going to lose money. They're going to make a bad business decision. They're going to employ someone that's going to be bad for them, or they're going to marry someone. So for the cases of dating, marriage, like shidduchim, employment, yeah, there's certain categories where literally someone will get hurt if they don't know the information. Again, it's coming from care because I care about you and there's a seven conditions that you must meet in order for it. This is where we all get messed up. Okay, this is, this is very, very serious. Women go, oh, it's toelis, it's for benefit, right? And they just put that, they slap that label on and they go, they just go for it with Lashonara, right? Yeah. You have to meet seven conditions of, of, of toelis. You have to know the information direct. I'm not gonna go through because I don't know them all off by heart, but you, we, can, um, we can look it up. You, you have to know, but some of them are, you have to know the information firsthand. You can't say, well, I heard from a friend that apparently, right? They're not a good worker. You would have to know that I employed that person and they were really unreliable and you should give the information over factually. They always turned up late. It's not a subjective opinion. By the way, this is crucial with dating. I asked my rub this once um, when, when I was running a, um, a dating night called Friend to Friend where I had, it was actually a really cool idea where friends came in and, and brought along a profile of one guy they dated they thought was a fantastic guy but wasn't for them. And they were going to bring it as a pre and present that guy, not he wasn't there physically, but pre present that guy to friends like, what do you think? Do you know anyone for this guy? Right? So there was like friends networking with each other, just about ideas of, of guys, like bouncing off, you know, guys. And, um, and I, but I was very worried about Lash and Hara with this event. Crystal thinks that's hilarious. And um, no, no, it, it is because like, you don't bounce <laughs> off guys. Anyway, so, so, um, so I. I remember asking about this, I was very worried about all the negative speech. Imagine someone saying, oh, I went out with John, and then someone else goes, John, you went out with John, oh my gosh, like he was so, such a dork, like how could you bring him to this group, right? Of course, immediately you could open, open up Lashon Hara. So, um, so it had to be something that was only spoken about in private, obviously not in a group, in a small circle, but also it had to be something that was objective, like um, he picked me up an hour late and didn't apologize. He, um, he made inappropriate jokes. Um, he, whatever it was, right? It has to be something appropriate. It couldn't be something like, oh, he's too quiet. 
No. This was very interesting. And I asked my Rav, why? What if I went out with someone and they were extremely, extremely quiet and so I know they're a quiet person and they won't go well with another quiet person? He said, because you don't know because that was your subjective experience of the person and maybe you were just too scary for them and maybe if they're with another quiet person, it's going to actually draw them out and with that person, they're not going to be quiet. But you've now slapped and labeled them as quiet and someone else is not going to go out with them because you said they're quiet. I went, oh, right? Isn't, this a, isn't it wild? It's so true because different people bring out different aspects of each other in different relationships. So you can't say, oh, they're this in their personality because maybe they're just that with you. So it has to be something objective, something that you know firsthand, something that you know is actually going to be damaging to the employer or the husband and wife, like in the marriage. Actually be something objectively damaging, right? Something that you know they're not going to necessarily disclose about themselves. Right? It has the seven conditions that you have to meet before you're even allowed to open your mouth. Right? And we all, listen, we're all, we all fail at this, but this is, it's really worth reviewing. That before you're allowed to open your mouth, you have to make sure that these seven conditions are there. Okay? Any other questions? Let's wrap up before we have the Lachaim. I think we need one after that. Okay. Have a great night. And we're going to have a schmooze now if anyone else wants to sit around the schmooze. We have a black one.